thank you for listening to Simple Church, where we love God, love others, and serve our world. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Tom Allen. Welcome to you. We're starting a series today called Family Matters, and it does. And we're a family, and we matter, and I hope you feel like you already matter here. If you're newer with us, we welcome you. We're glad you've come today. I was just thinking while we were singing that last song, it says, with our breath, we will praise the Lord forever. And you might have heard someone shout out a praise, okay? And you wonder, can you do that at church? Can you do that at church? And yet I was thinking, if we were at a football game, everybody here would be just shouting their praise for a team that, you know, so what, kind of, you know? They'll win or they'll lose, and then the next time they'll win or they'll lose. But we've got a Lord who wins all the time. We sing our praise to Him. So it is good to be with you today, and it is good to praise the Lord. And it's good to focus on families. This Sunday, next Sunday, Mother's Day, and then on Father's Day, we're going to do this three-part series called Family Matters. I'd like for us to pray, because this is kind of a hard lesson. So uh, in a special way, I hope the Lord will open our hearts and minds to hear His word today. Father, thank you so much for every person here. For those who come every week, we are so grateful. For those who are new today, we are so grateful. May they feel like welcomed, cherished guests. Not just of us, but of you. And may uh, they sense family here, that we care, that we want to connect, that we want to, we want to be there for everybody. As much as we can, you are the God who's always there. Help us to be there as much as is humanly possible. May that bless us and may this family Simple Church, just grow closer and closer to you, first and foremost, and then to each other, and then to our community, Lord, so that others see Christ in us. So teach us now, and help us to hear what we need to hear, speak what we need to hear from you, Lord, and we will give you the praise. And we do offer our high praise to you, for you are worthy, in Jesus' name. Well, it was very interesting until the early 60s. The statistics of the family were just flat. You know, they just stayed the same. And then all of a sudden, um, something changed. It's very interesting when you look at it. Uh, they, they just went highway, haywire, the stats did. And so we have to ask a question. What decisions were made in the 60s that created the current problems with families and family life today? Now, if you remember, it was 1962 that the Supreme Court basically said to God, you're out of our public life in America. Because in 1962, they said no more prayer in the public schools. Now, you have to understand how important that was. Because that was the start in our society of the downward trend of God being taken out of everything. So prayer was taken out, then anything of the Bible was taken out, then anything of God was taken out, then it moved into our public life to where today we're almost afraid to even mention the name of God in any kind of a public setting. And if you ever see anyone pray unless there's towers falling down, you think, oh my goodness, how could they do that in public? That all started in 1962. Because before that, our Judeo-Christian values, which were the foundation of our country, 
were the firm foundation of all that we did. It's interesting, until early 1900s, the Bible was the main textbook in the schools. The kids had memorized scripture. They prayed every day. They were loyal to their country. They weren't afraid to talk about God. Judeo-Christian values were taught in the schools. And then, because of that one Supreme Court ruling, 1962, everything started changing. Basically, it was like he told God, we don't want you affecting our public life anymore. We reject your truth and principles, and we will do it our way. And if you study from 1962 on, you see our country, as far as morals and ethics and values, our country struggled and struggled and is struggling today to try to figure out what to do, what is right, what is wrong. Even our Congress, they're so confused they can hardly make any decisions because they're so confused about what is right, what is wrong, fighting with each other over what is right and what is wrong. And a big mistake that was made in the 60s, and it continues 57 years later today, is this. We had a false assessment of how resilient the family really was. A false assessment. We thought families are so strong, they're like steel, and kids are so resilient, they, they can handle anything. And, and we abused the institution of marriage and home and family. And today, we're reaping a whirlwind of confusion and problems and division because of that. So I want to show you three false assessments that we've had in the last 57 years in our country. Okay? Number one was this. Divorce does minimum damage to the family unit. Minimum damage. Now I want to show you some scripture. This is hard scripture, so just kind of Straighten up and be ready to receive it, okay? Because it's right out of the Bible, just before the New Testament was the book of Malachi. In Malachi, uh, the prophet, it's interesting because in the book of Malachi, the Israelites were doing all kinds of things wrong. They did so much wrong that God gave them warnings, and then for 400 years, he didn't say another thing to the Israelites. From the end of the book of Malachi until the beginning of Matthew, straight, silent, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus appears. There's no prophet, there's no revelation, there's no word from God. He just, he just kind of got sick and tired of the people. And Malachi's a book where he's saying, you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong, and you're doing this wrong, and you're messing this up. And when you come to Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 to 16, here's what you read. Here's another thing you do. Have you ever done that to your children? This is another thing. <laughs> kind of how God was doing it. Never. <laughs> You've experienced it, huh? Um, you covered the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. And you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? In other words, you're doing all those religious things. You're doing all what you think is right. And it doesn't seem like God's hearing a thing from you. And he says, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. In other words, 
When we say, I do, and give our lives away to each other, that's not just a contract. That's not just a social function. That's a covenant. And when God sees that, he says, I take you at your word. Now, I'm going to hold you to that for as long as you live. So he says, the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner. And this can be turned around because the, the, the Old Testament especially was always written from a, a male perspective. So you can turn it around either way. You have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his, you're one. You're no longer two separate individuals. When you say, I do, when you make that marriage covenant, you become one. Then he said, and what does he want? And you see, we think, you know, we make a big deal out of the marriage ceremony. Oh, isn't this sweet? You know, we get a free meal and all this nice stuff, you know? But the deal is that God's not really so interested in you. Marriage isn't really about you. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's happy for you, and he hears your vows, and he wants you to obey his, his commands for marriage. But what he's interested in is godly children. Because, you see, he's interested in the next generation coming up being godly. Because if you have one or two generations that are ungodly, everything starts falling apart. So he said... And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. So, he says, guard your heart. In other words, when you make those marriage vows, take that seriously. Guard your <coughs> heart. Because our heart is prone to just go wacko. You know? We, can, we have temptations and all kinds of attitudes and all kinds of responses that can just be weird. He says, guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I, what's the next word? Hate. What's the next word? Divorce. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, boy, when God says something like that, we better at least listen and try to take it seriously. He says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. That's pretty powerful stuff. When one mate divorces from another mate, you are opening up the floodgates of potential cruelty. Not just for your mate and you, but for your children and for your extended family and for your even more extended family of relationships and even more extended family of society. You overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. That's pretty powerful scripture. Okay? So hardly anyone preaches on that today, you know? That stuff just doesn't get talked about. But if we're going to understand the family matters, then we've got to hear God, God's word said, says first about marriage. Because that's the beginning of the family unit. Now, when God says, I hate divorce, he absolutely does not mean, I hate divorced people, or I hate divorced families, or I hate the children of divorce. He's not saying that at all. 
And here at Simple Church, we love and care for people who are married, who are getting married, who are divorced. We care about you, who are remarried. We care about you. We want God's very, very best for you. But what God opposes is that cavalier attitude that we have in our society today. It's just a cavalier attitude, kind of <coughs> whatever, which says, I'm going to trade in this spouse for another one, no matter who gets hammered in the process. And I will tell you something. Anytime there's divorce, people get hammered in the process. Let me read you a key statement. Divorce is one of the most traumatic events in the life of a family. And it does all kinds of damage. When God says, I hate divorce, I want you to know what he's really saying is, I love people. And I don't want anything or anyone to hurt people because I love and care for people. And so anytime God warns us about anything in the Bible that might be damaging, it only comes from a heart of love, which is saying, please don't let this happen. Please don't go there. Please don't do that. Whatever it is, it's not because he's trying to hold back anything from us. He's trying, because he's trying to give us everything he has for us. And he knows there are things that can hurt us and hold us back. So the truth is, the family is quite fragile. We thought it was steel. We thought the kids were, you know, they were just mad. They could handle anything. But that was a false assumption. It doesn't take much to break our hearts or to shatter our trust or to undermine our self-esteem or to ruin our ability to give and receive love. It doesn't take much to hurt that. And one of the best things we can do for our children is to model before them a loving, honest, flourishing marriage relationship. One of the best ways to love your kids. Now the second false assumption was this. Parent substitutes have, have um, <coughs> virtually the same nurturing effect on children as parents. Let me read it again. Parent substitutes have the same virtually effect on children as parents do. And so, for the last 50 years, we've had a new value in our society. Here's how that value sounds. It says, parents can have children and pass them off to be raised by others while we work and raise our standard of living and socialize and recreate and go to vacations and then recreate, we can just pass off our children and let other people teach them and train them and raise them and even build qualities of character and virtue into them as they see fit. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that parents don't need time to get away from their kids. We should have been. And you may also. I think it's very healthy for a husband and a wife to, to have regular times, whether it's once a week, 
couple times a month, every month, before you go, go on date nights and you, you get away and then someone else takes care of the little snobby those things. And, and you, 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 uh, you have a time where you can look at each other and talk to each other and, and do it uninterrupted from 27 interruptions, mommy, this, that, and this. We need that. We need times where we can get away for, for shorter or even longer vacations and someone else take care of our kids. That's fine. But every family must trust the Holy Spirit for His direction for your family. You must trust Him. What is God's best for you as a parent with your children? And, and I can't tell you that. That's really every family's responsibility to figure that out. But single moms, my goodness, do you have a responsibility on you? I, I mean, you, you have to provide for the family. And you have to kind of be like a mother and a father to the family. And, 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 and you have to teach and train them the things that you need to train them. And you have to keep the home. And you have to try to have your own life and your own relationship with, my goodness, do you have a responsibility? My goodness, do we need to stand with you every way we can. And we would if you let us know where we could help. Because you have a responsibility. And, and, and an extra responsibility almost. God bless you in that. Let us know how we can help. And moms who work outside the home during the week, uh, you know, you have a responsibility to know how to balance all of those things with your husband, with your family, with your home, with your life. And, and you've got to trust the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom on that. Because I would recommend so strongly, and you moms who stay at home need to pray for that also, that wisdom, how to be the best with your children while you're at home with them. But I would recommend personally that in those early years, you do not hand them off too often to parent substitutes. Because God gave those children to you. And uh, he wants you to raise them. I see families having kid after kid after kid, and then they ship them off for about uh, 18 years for somebody else to train them and raise them and teach them. And I understand their circumstances, and I understand there's life, but boy, do we need to ask God to give us wisdom on that. Because it's first and foremost our responsibility as moms and dads to model Christ before our kids, to love our kids, to teach and train our kids lead them in the way of the faith, and that leads us to our third wrong assumption. And that was this. A Christian Bible-based approach to child raising won't help kids when they're adults. See, throughout history, parents have always been accountable for teaching and modeling and instilling faith and virtue in their children's lives. The church should help, the school should help, but it's ultimately the parent's responsibility to teach and train and raise up your children in the way of the Lord and to model it from the non-hypocritical example of your own life. That's the way it's always been. And then came the great social experiments of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s where these child development experts started warning parents about the dangers of indoctrinating their young children in matters of faith. You don't want to indoctrinate your children in your faith. 
They are individuals. They've got to find their own way. And along with that council was a dramatic shift in our public education approach in the early 60s. Because not only did we do away with prayer, any kind of Bible, any kind of Judeo-Christian morals and values teachings in the schools, but then along with that, an intentional transition was made away from character-based education, which had always been the education of our country. It was built around values, morals, ethics, character. Moved away from that to a value-free educational method of teaching children. Value-free. Because you see, <coughs> we don't want to impose our values on your children. We want them just to kind of figure it out on their phone. <laughs> a little snots. <laughs> just figure it out on your own. If you've had children, you know what they figure out. Man, is it amazing what they can figure out. Yes. William Kirkpatrick has written a book about the results of this. It's called Why Johnny Can't Tell Right from Wrong. Let me read you a paragraph from that book. He said, millions of students are coming to schools from homes where they have never been rigorously taught faith, morality, or any kind of character values. They attend classes where key moral issues of the day are put on the table for discussion that most students are incapable of entering into meaningfully because they have no moral history or context and they have never been given a moral compass with which to navigate these difficult moral issues. So it has become multiple guess morality. Multiple guess morality these days. Or worse, multiple option morality. Or even worse, your morality versus my morality. Versus his morality her morality, your truth, my truth, whose truth, everybody's truth. And then he summarizes it. He said, we see the results today in so many struggling with values and morals and ethics. And you look at our society today, there's a huge struggle. If, you, if you're aware of anything that's going on in our country and in our world, people are so confused about what is right and what is wrong. And they're making up all kinds of ideas to where even our judicial system is struggling to hold things together because people don't want to obey the law. And if you don't have some guiding principles, if you don't have some virtuous values and character qualities, if you don't have ethics and morality, everybody starts doing whatever they want to do. It's almost like it was at the end of the book of Judges, in chapter 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, in those days, Israel had no king. Now what? All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. If we are careful, we're coming to that place in America. There's huge pressure to try to say, hey, the Bible, 
is not the Word of God. Judeo-Christian values and ethics and morals that we've been taught all throughout the history of our nation are wrong. It's been imposed by certain people who've had power, and they're telling you what to do. You don't have to do that. You've got to figure this out, because what's right for you may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for you, and we can't tell you anything. Pretty soon, everyone is doing what seems right in their own eyes. Now let me close with three biblical truths. We've seen, we've seen three false assumptions. Here's three biblical truths. First, guard your marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So singles, I would urge you, date and marry very carefully, very wisely. Do not get married until you find the right person at the right time for the right reason and be sure God is confirming that in your heart because you can get off on so much stuff that can end up hurting you and so many others. Married people, <coughs> nurture your relationship with your spouse very carefully. Don't take each other for granted. One of the amazing things about marriage is it's so daily. For the next 50, 60 years, it's so daily. And the thing is, we can just start looking at each other, taking each other for granted, lose all of that romantic as well as heartfelt love and appreciation and respect and care for each other. Moms and dads, if there's tension, anger, or eroding levels of trust in your marriage, get help fast. It blesses your kids. Don't let your marriage build up that wall that can eventually feel, feel like it's at the ceiling where there's no hope and that's when people get divorced. There's just no hope for this thing. We get divorced. Don't let that happen. Any tension, any anger, anything. Get help. Get that dealt with. Let that be forgiven. So you keep it clean. <coughs> Second biblical truth is Psalm 127.3. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. We only have them for a season. And it goes by so quickly. Invest as much time as you possibly can nurturing and loving and teaching and hanging out with those kids. I mean, it's amazing. They pop out, and the next thing you know, they're walking down the aisle to receive their high school diploma. And the next thing you know, you're walking them down the aisle or sitting there in the front row saying, how could this have happened? They just popped out. <laughs> Amazing. Children are a gift from the Lord. Take them seriously. You just have them for a little teeny time. And then they're off doing their own thing. With someone that isn't worthy of them. <laughs> <laughs> and dads, this isn't just for moms. Because study after study shows the horrible damage done to families because of passive, uninvolved, and absent fathers. You want your daughter to stay morally pure? One of the best ways you can guarantee that is shower her with godly, good, loving, fatherly love. Because the more she experiences that from you, the more she doesn't have to go out and try to find that from some other guy. Amen. So important. 
We hold enormous power as men in the emotional developmental phases of our children's lives. It's all important that we take that seriously. Now, third thing is, God wants our children to know his truth. I will tell you what the Lord says in Bible. He says, indoctrinate your kids. You know how he says it? Teach them. Train them. Indoctrinate them. The Bible instructs parents to be proactive and persistent in teaching our children about faith and character. We are the ones that are supposed to teach that, not the school, not even the church. That's to come from the example and the words and the teaching and the patience of moms and dads in the marriage and home and family. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 says. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Look at this. Talk to parents here. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands, to this truth that I'm giving you today. He says, repeat these truths. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. In other words, just let it become an all the time. Then the kids will get sick of it sometimes. Let it just keep coming if they don't see hypocrisy in your life. See, if what you say is what the kids see, they're going to adopt that. But if you are teaching them and requiring things from them that they don't see from our lives, then they're going to say, I don't know that I believe you. You're hypocrite. Well, assumptions? Really misleading us, I believe. God's truth never misleads us. Finally, I've said to our children over and over again, if I could line up all the children in the world, and God would give me the privilege of picking one boy and one girl, because we have Mandy and Marshall. I said to them, if God would give me the privilege to pick one boy and one girl, it would have been you, Mandy, and it would have been you, Marshall. Because your mom and I love you like you can't believe. But then afterwards, I hug them and I say, now I want you to know, your Heavenly Father loves you thousands of times more than your mom and I. And I pray that you will know him and love him and obey him. Folks, our God, family matters. It's worth our life to hear God's word and obey. So, Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you will uh, bless us as we talk about it and then as we celebrate some of our people and uh, watch them transition to the next season of their life. We are so glad for your blessings. We are so thankful for your word. May your word be like a light that shines before us and gives us guidance. May we not just hear it and then not do it, but may we be doers also, obedient to what you teach us. We love you. Help our families to know a special anointing this week. Help our kids and our graduates to just be protected and guided and led by your spirit. 
may we be people who truly, fully follow you. For it's in Jesus' name we ask Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're new or want to know more about our Simple Church family, you can visit us online at simple.church or by downloading our Simple.Church app.